This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become Mentally Stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. Podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. I have got a wonderful, snoozy bedtime story for you tonight. But before we get to tonight's reading, 
I just want to thank all of our patrons on Patreon.com. Adrian Kendall, Kat Imam, Emma, Leah Wary, Brittany Bishop, Madison Lake, Sophie Monaghan, and Jan. Thank you all so much for donating and being a part of making this show. And if you sleepy listener would also like to be a supporter of the Sleepy Podcast and give small monthly donations, you can go to patreon.com slash sleepy radio where you can donate even a dollar a month, which goes a really long way. Um, And no matter how much you donate, I'll immediately read your name in the opening credits of the next show. That's patreon.com slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music that you're hearing is by my good friend James Lebkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Tonight, um, I'm reading from a collection of stories that a friend recommended to me. Um, it's from The Green Fairy Book by Andrew Lang. Now, I'd never heard of this collection of books, but he has lots and lots of books about fairies um, with all kinds of wonderful fairy tales within them. Um, so tonight, I'm going to start with a story called The Enchanted Ring, and then I'm going to move on to a wonderful little tale called Rosanella. These are really fantastic to fall asleep to. I highly recommend you checking out Andrew Lang's books on your own time as well. But for now, you can just doze off into a deep, deep slumber while I read from the Green Fairy Book. Now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Once upon a time, there lived a young man named Rosamond, who was as good and handsome as his elder brother, Berminto, was ugly and wicked. Their mother detested her eldest son and had only eyes for the youngest. This excited Bermintho's jealousy and he invented a horrible story in order to ruin his brother. He told his father that Rosamond was in the habit of visiting a neighbor who was an enemy of the family and betraying him all that went on in the house and was plotting with him to poison their father. The father flew into a rage and flogged his son till the blood came. Then he threw him into prison and kept him for three days without food. And after that, he turned him out of the house and threatened to kill him if he ever came back. The mother was miserable and did nothing but weep, but she dared not say anything. The youth left his home with tears in his eyes not knowing where to go, and wandered about for many hours till he came to a thick wood. Night overtook him at the foot of a great rock, and he fell asleep on a bank of moss 
lulled by the music of a little brook. It was dawn when he woke, and he saw before him a beautiful woman seated on a gray horse with trappings of gold who looked as if she were preparing for the hunt. Have you seen a stag and some deer hounds go by? She asked. No, madam, he replied. Then she added, You look unhappy. Is there anything the matter? Take this ring, which will make you the happiest and most powerful of men, provided you never make bad use of it. If you turn the diamond inside, you will become invisible. If you turn it outside, you will become visible again. If you place it on your little finger, you will take the shape of the king's son, followed by a splendid court. If you put it on your fourth finger, you will take your own shape. Then the young man understood that it was a fairy who was speaking to him, and when she had finished, she plunged into the woods. The youth was very impatient to try the ring, and he returned home immediately. He found that the fairy had spoken the truth, and that he could see and hear everything while he himself was unseen. It lay with him to revenge himself, if he chose, on his brother without the slightest danger to himself, and he told no one but his mother of all the strange things that had befallen him. He afterwards put the enchanted ring on his little finger and appeared as the king's son, followed by a hundred fine horses and a guard of officers, all richly dressed. His father was much surprised to see the king's son in his quiet little house, and he felt rather embarrassed, not knowing what was the proper way to behave on such a grand occasion. Then Rosamond asked him how many sons he had. Two, replied he. I wish to see them, said Rosamond. Send for them at once. I desire to take them both to court in order to make their fortunes. The father hesitated, then answered, Here is the eldest, whom I have the honor to present to your highness. But where is the youngest? I wish to see him too, persisted Rosamond. He is not here, said the father. I had to punish him for a fault, and he has run away. Then Rosamond replied, You should have shown him what was right, but not have punished him. However, let the elder come with me, and as for you, follow these two guards will escort you to a place that I will point out to them. Then the guards led off the father, and the fairy of whom you have heard found him in the forest, and beat him with a golden birch rod, and cast him into a cave that was very deep and dark, where he lay enchanted. Lie there, she said, till your son comes to take you out again. Meanwhile, the son went to the king's palace and arrived just when the real prince was absent. 
He sailed away to make war in a distant land, but the winds had been contrary, and he had been shipwrecked on unknown shores and taken captive by a savage people. Rosamond made his appearance at court in the character of the prince, whom everyone wept for as a lost, and told them that he had been rescued when at the point of death by some merchants. His return was the signal for great public rejoicings, and the king was so overcome that he became quite speechless and did nothing but embrace his son. The queen was even more delighted, and fetes were ordered over the whole kingdom. One day the false prince said to his real brother, Bermintho, you know that I brought you here from your native village in order to make your fortune, but I found out that you are a liar, and that by your deceit you have been the cause of all the troubles of your brother Rosamond. He is hiding here, and I desire that you shall speak to him and listen to his reproaches. Bermento trembled at these words, and flinging himself at the prince's feet, confessed his crime. That is not enough, said Rosamond. It is to your brother that you must confess, and I desire that you shall ask his forgiveness. He will be very generous if he grants it, but it will be more than you deserve. He is in my anteroom, where you shall see him at once. I myself will retire into another apartment so as to leave you alone with him. Bermento entered as he was told into the anteroom. Then Rosamond changed the ring and passed into the room by another door. Bermento was filled with shame as soon as he saw his brother's face. He implored his pardon and promised to atone for all his faults. Rosamond embraced him with tears and at once forgave him, adding, I am in great favor with the king. It rests with me to have your head cut off or to condemn you to pass the remainder of your life in prison. But I desire to be as good to you as you have been wicked to me. Bermento, confused and ashamed, listened to his words without daring to lift his eyes or to remind Rosamond that he was his brother. After this, Rosamond gave out that he was going to make a secret voyage to marry a princess who lived in a neighboring kingdom, but in reality, he only went to see his mother whom he told all that happened at the court, giving her the same time some money that she needed, for the king allowed him to take exactly what he liked, though he was always careful not to abuse this permission. Just then, a furious war broke out between the king, his master, and the sovereign of the adjoining company, who was a bad man and one that never kept his word. Rosamond went straight to the palace of the wicked king and by means of his ring was able to present at all the councils and learnt all their schemes so that he was able to forestall them 
and bring them to naught. He took the command of the army, which was brought against the wicked king, and defeated him in a glorious battle, so that peace was at once concluded on conditions that were just to everyone. Henceforth the king's one idea was to marry the young man to a princess who was the heiress to a neighboring kingdom, and besides that was as lovely as the day. But one morning, while Rosamond was hunting in the forest, where for the first time he had seen the fairy, his benefactress suddenly appeared before him. Take heed, she said to him in severe tones, that you do not marry anybody who believes you to be a prince. You must never deceive anyone. The real prince, whom the whole nation thinks you are, will have to succeed his father, for that is just and right. Go and seek him in some distant land, and I will send winds that will swell your sails and bring you to him. Hasten to render this service to your master, although it is against your own ambition, and prepare like an honest man to return to your natural state. If you do not do this, you will become wicked and unhappy, and I will abandon you to all your former troubles. Rosamond took these wise counsels to heart. He gave out that he had undertaken a secret mission to a neighboring state and embarked in a board vessel, the winds carrying him straight to the island where the fairy had told him he would find the real prince. This unfortunate youth had been taken captive by a savage people who had kept him to guard their sheep. Rosamond, becoming invisible, went to seek him amongst the pastures, where he kept his flock, and covering him with his mantle, he delivered him out of the hands of his cruel masters and bore him back to the ship. Other winds sent by the fairy swelled the sails, and together the two young men entered the king's presence. Rosamond spoke first and said, You have believed me to be your son. I am not he, but I have brought him back to you. The king, filled with astonishment, turned to his real son and asked, Was it not you, my son, who conquered my enemies and won such a glorious peace? Or is it true that you have been shipwrecked and taken captive and that Rosamond set you free? Yes, my father, replied the prince. It is he who sought me out in my captivity and set me free, and to him I owe the happiness of seeing you once more. It was he, not I, who gained the victory. The king could hardly believe his ears, but Rosamond, turning the ring, appeared before him in the likeness of the prince and the king gazed distractedly at the two youths who seemed both to be his son. Then he offered Rosamond immense rewards for his services, which were refused, and the only favor the young man would accept was that one of his posts at court 
should be conferred on his brother, Praminto. For he feared himself the changes of fortune, the envy of mankind, and his own weakness. His desire was to go back to his mother and his native village and to spend his time cultivating the land. One day when he was wandering through the woods, he met the fairy, who showed him the cavern where his father was imprisoned and told him what words he must use in order to set him free. He repeated them joyfully, for he had always longed to bring the old man back and make his last days happy. Rosamond thus became the benefactor of all his family and had the pleasure of doing good to those who had wished to do him evil. As for the court, to whom he had rendered such services, all he asked was the freedom to live far from its corruption and to crown all, fearing that if he kept the ring, he might be tempted to use it in order to regain his lost place in the world. He made up his mind to restore it to the fairy. For many days he sought her up and down the woods, and at last he found her. I want to give you back, he said, holding out the ring, a gift as dangerous as it is powerful, which I fear to use wrongfully. I shall never feel safe till I have made it impossible for me to leave my solitude and to satisfy my passions. While Rosamond was seeking to give back the ring to the fairy, Bermintho, who had failed to learn any lessons from experience, gave way to all his desires and tried to persuade the prince, lately become king, to ill-treat Rosamond. But the fairy, who knew all about everything, said to Rosamond, when he was imploring her to accept the ring, your wicked brother is doing his best to poison the mind of the king towards you and to ruin you. He deserves to be punished and he must die. And in order that he may destroy himself, I shall give the ring to him. Rosamond wept at these words and then asked, What do you mean by giving him the ring as punishment? He will only use it to persecute everyone and to become master. The same things, answered the fairy, are often a healing medicine to one person and a deadly poison to another. Prosperity is the source of all evil to a naturally wicked man. If you wish to punish a scoundrel, the first thing you do is give him power. You will see that with this rope he will soon hang himself. Having said this, she disappeared and went straight to the palace, where she showed herself to Bermintho under the disguise of an old woman covered with rags. She at once addressed him in these words. I have taken this ring from the hands of your brother, to whom I had lent it, and by its help he covered himself with glory. I now give it to you, and be careful what you do with it. Bermintho replied with a laugh, I shall certainly not imitate my brother, 
who was foolish enough to bring back the prince instead of reigning in his place. And he was as good as his word. The only use he made of the ring was to find out family secrets and betray them, to commit murders and every sort of wickedness, and to gain wealth for himself unlawfully. All these crimes, which could be traced to nobody, filled the people with astonishment. The king, seeing so many affairs, public and private, exposed, was at first as puzzled as anyone, till Bermintho's wonderful prosperity and amazing insolence made him suspect that the enchanted ring had become his property. In order to find out the truth, he bribed a stranger just arrived at court, one of a nation with whom the king was always at war, and arranged that he was to steal in the night to Bermintho and to offer him untold honors and rewards if he would betray the state secrets. Bermintho promised everything and accepted at once the first payment of his crime boasting that he had a ring which rendered him invisible and that by means of him he could penetrate into the most private places. But his triumph was short. Next day he was seized by order of the king and his ring was taken from him. He was searched and on him were found papers which proved his crimes and though Rosamond himself came back to the court to entreat his pardon, it was refused. Subramintho was put to death, and the ring had been more fatal to him than it had been useful in the hands of his brother. To console Rosamond for the fate of Bermintho, the king gave him back the enchanted ring as a pearl without price. The unhappy Rosamond did not look upon it in the same light and the first thing he did on his return home was to seek the fairy in the woods. Here, he said, is your ring. My brother's experience has made me understand many things that I did not know before. Keep it. It has only led to his destruction. Ah, without it he would be alive now, and my father and mother would not in their old age be bowed to earth with shame and grief. Perhaps he might have been wise and happy if he had never had the chance of gratifying his wishes. Oh, how dangerous it is to have more power than the rest of the world. Take back your ring, and as ill fortune seems to follow all on whom you bestow it, I will implore you, as a favor to myself, that you will never give it to anyone who is dear to me. Rosanella Everybody knows that though the fairies live hundreds of years, they do sometimes die, and especially as they are obliged to pass one day in every week under the form of some animal, when of course they are liable to accident. It was in this way that death once overtook the queen of the fairies, and it became necessary to call a general assembly to elect a new sovereign. After much discussion, 
it appeared that the choice lay between two fairies, one called Circentine and the other called Paradami, and their claims were so equal that it was impossible to without injustice prefer one to the other. Under these circumstances, it was unanimously decided that whether of the two could show to the world the greatest wonder should be queen. But it was to be a special kind of wonder. No moving of mountains or any such common fairy tricks would do. Circantine, therefore, resolved that she would bring up a prince whom nothing could make constant. While Paradami decided to display to admiring mortals a princess so charming that no one could see her without falling in love with her. They were allowed to take their own time, and meanwhile the four oldest fairies were to attend the affairs of the kingdom. Now Paradami had for a long time been very friendly with King Bardendon, who was the most accomplished prince, and whose court was the model of what a court should be. His queen, Balanese, was also charming. Indeed, it is rare to find a husband and wife so perfectly of one mind about everything. They had one little daughter, whom they had named Rosanella, because she had a little pink rose printed upon her white throat. From her earliest infancy, she had shown the most astonishing intelligence, and those courtiers knew her smart sayings by heart and repeated them on all occasions. In the middle of the night, following the assembly of fairies, Queen Balanese woke up with a shriek, and when her maids of honor ran to see what was the matter, they found she had a frightful dream. I thought, said she, that my little daughter had changed into a bouquet of roses, and that as I held it in my hand, a bird swooped down suddenly and snatched it from me and carried it away. Let someone run and see that all is well with the princess, she added. So they ran. But what was their dismay when they found that the cradle was empty? And though they saw high and low, not a trace of Rosanella could they discover. The queen was inconsolable, and so indeed was the king. Only being a man, he did not say quite so much about his feelings. He presently proposed to Balinese that they should spend a few days at one of their palaces in the country, and to this she willingly agreed, since her grief made the gaiety of the capital distasteful to her. One lovely summer evening, as they sat together on a shady lawn shaped like a star, from which radiated twelve splendid avenues of trees, the queen looked round and saw a charming peasant girl approaching by each path. And what was still more singular was that everyone carried something in a basket which appeared to occupy her whole attention. As she drew near, she laid her back set at Balanese's feet, saying, Charming queen, may this be some slight consolation to you and your unhappiness. The queen hastily opened the baskets and found in each a lovely baby girl 
about the same age as the little princess for whom she sorrowed so deeply. At first the sight of them renewed her grief, but presently their charms so gained upon her that she forgot her melancholy in providing them with nursery maids, cradle rockers, and ladies-in-waiting, and in sending hither and thither the swings and dolls and tops and bushels of the finest sweetmeats. Oddly enough, every baby had upon its throat a tiny pink rose. The queen found it so difficult to decide on suitable names for all of them that until she could settle the matter, she chose a special color for everyone by which it was known so that when they were all together, they looked like nothing so much as a nosegay of gay flowers. As they grew older, it became evident that though they were all remarkably intelligent and profited equally by the education they received, yet they differed one from another in disposition, so much so that they gradually ceased to be known as pearl or primrose or whatever might have been their color. And the queen instead would say, Where is my sweet? Or my beautiful? Or my gay? Of course, with all these charms, they had lovers by the dozen. Not only in their court, but princes from afar, who were constantly arriving, attracted by the reports which were spread around. But these lovely girls, the first maids of honor, were as discreet as they were beautiful and favored by no one. But let us return to Serkentine. She had fixed upon the son of a king who was cousin to Bardendon to bring up as her fickle prince. She had before, at his christening, given him all the graces of mind and body that a prince could possibly require, but now she redoubled her efforts and spared no pains in adding every imaginable charm and fascination. So that whether he happened to be cross or amiable, splendidly or simply attired, serious or frivolous, he was always perfectly irresistible. In truth, he was a charming young fellow, since the fairy had given him the best heart in the world as well as the best head and had left nothing to be desired but constancy. For it cannot be denied that Prince Mirlefort was a desperate flirt and as fickle as the wind, so much so that by the time he arrived at his eighteenth birthday there was not a heart left for him to conquer in his father's kingdom. They were all his own, and he was tired of everyone. Things were in this state when he was invited to visit the court of his father's cousin, King Bardendon. Imagine his feelings when he arrived and was presented at once to twelve of the loveliest creatures in the world, and his embarrassment was heightened by the fact that they all liked him as much as he liked each one of them, so that things came to such a pass that he was never happy a single instant without them. For could he not whisper soft speeches to sweet and laugh with joy while he looked at beauty? And in his more serious moments, what could be pleasanter 
and talked to Grave upon some shady lawn while he held the hand of loving in his own and all the others lingered near in sympathetic silence. For the first time in his life, he really loved, though the object of devotion was not one person, but twelve, to whom he was equally attached, and even Serkentine was deceived into thinking that this was indeed the height of inconstancy. But Paradami said not a word. In vain did Prince Millefor's father write commanding him to return and proposing for him one good match after another. Nothing in the world could tear him from his twelve enchantresses. One day the queen gave a large garden party, and just as the guests were all assembled, and Prince Mirlefleur was as usual dividing his attentions between the twelve beauties, a humming of bees was heard. The rose maidens, fearing their stings, uttered little shrieks and fled altogether to a distance from the rest of the company. Immediately to the horror of all who were looking on, the bees pursued them, and growing suddenly to an enormous size, pounced upon each maiden and carried her off into the air. In an instant, they were all lost to view. This amazing occurrence plunged the whole court into the deepest affliction, and Prince Mirlefleur, after giving way to the most violent grief at first, fell gradually into a state of such deep dejection that it was feared if nothing could rouse him, he would certainly die. Serkentine came in all haste to see what she could do for her darling, but he rejected with scorn all the portraits of lovely princesses which she offered him for his collection. In short, it was evident that he was in a bad way, and the fairy was at her wit's end. One day, as he wandered about, absorbed in melancholy reflections, he heard sudden shouts and exclamations of amazement, and if he had taken the trouble to look up, he could have not helped being as astonished as everyone else, for the air of a chariot of crystal was slowly approaching, which glittered in the sunshine. Six lovely maidens with shining wings drew it by rose-colored ribbons, while a whole flight of others, equally beautiful, were holding long garlands of roses crossed above it so as to form a complete canopy. In it sat the fairy Paradami, and by her side a princess whose beauty positively dazzled all who saw her. At the foot of the great staircase they descended and proceeded to the queen's apartments. Though everyone had run together to see this marvel, till it was quite difficult to make a way through the crowd, the exclamations of wonder rose on all sides at the loveliness of the strange princess. Great queen, said Paradami, permit me to restore to you your daughter, Rosanella, whom I stole out of her cradle. After the first transports of joy were over, the queen said to Paradami, But my twelve lovely ones, are they lost to me forever? 
Shall I see them again? But Paradami only said, Very soon you will cease to miss them, in a tone that evidently meant, Don't ask me any more questions. And then mounting again into her chariot, she swiftly disappeared. The news of his beautiful cousin's arrival was soon carried to the prince, but he had hardly the heart to go and see her. However, it became absolutely necessary that he should pay his respects, and he had scarcely been five minutes in her presence before it seemed to him that she had combined in her own charming person all the gifts and graces which had so attracted him and the twelve rose maidens whose loss he had so truly mourned. And after all, it really is more satisfactory to make love to one person at a time. So it came to pass that before he knew where he was entreating his lovely cousin to marry him, in the moment the words had left his lips, Paradami appeared, smiling and triumphant, in the chariot of the queen of the fairies. For by that time they had all heard of her success and declared her to have earned the kingdom. She had to give a full account of how she had stolen Rosanella from her cradle and divided her character into twelve parts, that each might charm Prince Mirliflor, and when once more united, might cure him of his inconstancy once and forever. And as one more proof of the fascination of the whole Rosanella, I may tell you that even the defeated Serpentine sent her a wedding gift and was present at the ceremony which took place as soon as the guests could arrive. Prince Mirlefort was constant for the rest of his life, and indeed, who would have not been in his place? As for Rosanella, she loved him as much as all the twelve beauties put together, so they reigned in peace and happiness to the end of their long lives. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.